2: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football The show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game With me, Kevin Day and him, Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire Now, Kieran, as you know, I don't normally read out birthday requests I'm a ginnum, but we've had one from a producer guy he wants to say happy birthday to Kieran Maguire which is very sweet uh, also saves him having to fork out for a first class stamp.
0: Uh, happy birthday Kieran thank you thank you yes I, I am uh, I am 60 which means I which means I qualify for uh, a senior citizens rail card which when you're commuting from deepest Sussex to Liverpool is, is a positive
2: yeah does this mean you're going to stop laughing at uh, schoolboy nob jokes
0: now no no, okay. no that would involve right. yeah I'm, I'm, I'm old, but I'm not grown up.
2: <laughs> Welcome to my world. <laughs>
0: uh, later in the show, we will
2: hear from Daniel Martin. He's vice president of finance and corporate development at Redbird FC, who currently owns Toulouse Football Club and is looking to invest in more European clubs in the coming years. And it's a fascinating interview, I think you'll agree. But before that, some news stories. Um... <laughs> it's, it's almost like a birthday present for you, Kieran, an old friend, <laughs> uh, Derby County's administrators missed Monday's EFL deadline to find a preferred bidder with proof of funds. Uh, the EFL issued rather a terse statement on Tuesday to that effect. Um, I was going to say what happens now, but luckily we had to delay recording this pod until Wednesday afternoon because you were dandling grandchildren up and down. (laughs) Uh, And between when we were supposed to do it and you being puked on by babies, uh, there's been a statement from Derby's administrators which basically
0: said, nothing to worry about, look away, all's fine. Yes, and there's been a subsequent second uh, uh, publication or statement from the EFL to say, well, that's not saying very much. Yeah. Um, I, I think it, it, it's a bit like when, uh, yeah, when when the baroness has asked me to to paint a door or or to fix something in the house, and of course I've I've prevaricated and found excuses, and and now you you get that patient stare, and and this is this is what we're getting from the EFL, and the EFL have you know that they've they've allowed the the administrators to to you know, to try to do their job to try to get on with things to 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 support as best that they can and now they're reaching the period of just being completely fed up uh, and uh, the the most recent statement from the EFL have said we've had no communication from uh, Quantuma the administrators no. they they're not replying to calls they're not replying to emails they're not replying to anything as far as the 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 EFL lawyers are concerned um and i know in one of the the previous uh, statements from the administrators they said that their non communication was strategic mm. now that's that to me is is pretty appalling I, I used to work in the insolvency industry and um you are dealing with uh, a, a large number of stakeholders um there are first of all the employees um, they're entitled to know what's on um I have connection with some of the staff at Derby County. Uh, I think it's fair to say they've not got a clue what's going on. Um, and certainly, you know, when I used to do this job, I used to make a, I used to make an effort every week to have a meeting either with the trade union reps or to call a call a meeting with as many staff as possible to say well there's not a lot i can say this is what we're trying to do this is the progress we've met the meet um communication is essential because communication can can help to allay people's fears so there's there's people who are, are of course at derby county who are now walking away they're finding themselves yeah you know, we're talking about back office staff they're starting to find other jobs which is Perfectly right and proper with with yeah. all the uncertainty involved, which means that there's gaps appears, uh, you know, in terms of some of the functions at the club, which which doesn't help things. You know, Wayne Rooney is doing a fantastic job, but you need both front office, back office, and on the pitch all to be to be working efficiently for that to take place. Um, in terms of the the other issues that the Quantum R have previously said have been challenges, well, you know, they, they made a big a big a case in respect of well it's, it's all Middlesbrough's fault well yeah. you know we, we spoke a few weeks ago Mel Morris and Steve Gibson have reached and and I quote an accord yeah. um to to put that particular problem to bed so why haven't we made progress where are the proof of funds for the remainder of the season we know that uh, some players were sold uh in the January window if, if they were sold, and that's going to see Derby County through to the end of the season, then it should not be difficult for the administrators to simply put together a spreadsheet to show how the money's come from, um, to say, these are our committed costs for the rest of the season, and send that to the EFL. Why are they not doing this? To me, it's it, it's a lack of professionalism, which which really bugs me. Um, and, and as I've said to you before, I know some other people in the insolvency industry, and I said, you know... Why why has it gone to, to 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 this firm? And they said, well, you know, lots of reputable firms took a look at Derby um and and what they were inheriting, which was um a series of companies which had been put into administration, but not the company that owns the stadium. So your biggest your biggest asset that you're potentially selling, which is your property asset, isn't included, which yeah. makes things more difficult. Um but this, this firm, they were appointed by Mel Morris. And if you take a look at what Quantumart have said in all of their pronouncements, they've, they've complained about COVID. They've complained about the EFL. They've complained about Wickham Wanderers. They've complained about um, Middlesbrough Football Club. The one person who they've not said a single negative thing about is Mel Morris. Draw your own conclusions.
2: I have to say, Kieran, as an outsider, the, the tone of the administrator's press release this afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, was was almost petulant. It, 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 was, it, it was basically saying, we've, we've got loads of bidders, loads of them. We're, we're just deciding which one we prefer. And as soon as we, we know, we'll let you know. And that could be next week,
0: It could be next month. But um, they, they said similar before Christmas.
2: They did, they did. And also, uh, looking at the website of Derby newspaper, they're reporting that the administrators have told them they have a meeting with the EFL on Monday. But that seems to be news to the
0: EFL. Well, the EFL have, have put something out today, so um, yeah, I'm I'm underwhelmed. Yes, yeah, it's. It, it, it I'm can't. doing my best to hide it.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I know it, it,
2: it's a strange, but you've got professional pride, Kieran. It's it's. You know, I, I've seen my club go through two administrations, and the the, the, the companies doing that didn't behave like this. Um, global news: Everton investor Alicia Uzmanov has had his assets frozen due to his close ties with Vladimir Putin. Is this anything for Everton fans to worry about?
0: Um, We we will have to wait and see. Uh, And again... uh you know, since we were originally supposed to record and, and we have actually recorded, Everton have now put out uh, a subsequent press release to say that they have uh, severed ties with all of Alicia Usmanov's companies, mm. um, which are USM Holdings, who have the naming rights for Finch Farm, which is Everton's training facilities, uh, Megathon, who are the sponsors of the, the women's team and another one of his companies as well. Um they are also quite clearly uh, offering as much support and care as they can for for their Ukrainian player. Uh, it's it's very disturbing. Uh, my, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not playing violins here. My my son plays a big computer game, which is one of these global things, yeah. uh, and he's in he's in a a European group, and he's got friends who are from Belarussia, from yeah. Russia, uh, from Ukraine, and. They're all friends. They're just young people together, yeah. and uh, some of the some of the Russian kids, and, and we, we are t- we're talking young people here. Yeah. Um, They've they've ended up as conscripts in the Russian army, and and he was in communication with them a few days ago, and he says, "Do you think you're going to invade?" and 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 they just turned back into him and said, and, and they started laughing. They said, yeah. "There's no way we can invade. Um, we've not got uniform that fits. We've got uh, we've we, we've been given rifles which are from the Cold War era. They you know they, they they're old school rifle. Yeah, they they're, they're, they're useless." um and uh we've got no food we're, we're having to scavenge for food and this was when they were on the border the, this was before the invasion took place and, yeah. and these young people didn't think this was this was going to take place subsequently i, I was talking and he's, he's quite distressed you know two two of two of his friends who are 20 years of age who were sent in first because you send in the kids first if you're a fucking maniac like putin yeah. um Two of his friends have been killed. Jesus. Twenty years of age. They are, they are somebody's son, somebody's boyfriend, somebody. Well, I'm. Um, uh, and how how do you explain? You know, this is my gener- Yeah, you know, these are people of my generation, like Putin, who are grown ups in in theories. You know, people who are capable of making smart decisions. Why why is he doing this to the sons and Russia as well? Of course, as the people in Ukraine who are being slaughtered by his cronies. But I, I don't. I don't do things like this. But I'm
2: angry. I know. I I can tell. Okay, we're, we're all angry, and it's this is not the pod to discuss it. But I I feel very. You know, we were talking in the pub last night. The younger, the grandsons and sons of my generation, the, the people are in their teens and, and early twenties, were of course terrified and anxious. So the, the the difference is that our generation grew up with it as a sort of background noise. Mm. Russia was always there as a background noise. So. This wouldn't have come as any surprise to most of the older people, but to younger people who have grown up with largely knowing nothing but peace, it is terrifying. But the idea of Everton, quite rightly, I think, severing links with Alicia Osmanov will that be temporary? Is that the sort of thing that once there is, please God, some kind of uh, peace in, in Ukraine, some kind of deal, and life moves on, will they then be quietly saying, well, you've got your money back now, Alicia. we'd quite like to have some of it, or... Is that the end of his tenure investing in Everton?
0: I think we will have to wait and see. There have been historic, very close links between Alicia Usmanov and the Everton owner Farhad Mashiri. They they were business partners. Um, Farhad Mashiri invested in Arsenal when he then sold his shares to Alicia Usmanov, and he used the proceeds of his share sale to to buy his investment in. Arsenal. Alicia Usmanov tried to take over Arsenal. He was rebuffed by Stan Kroenke. He therefore through through his toys out of the bram and says right I'm selling all of my my investment just to Stan Kroenke and since then he he has had a uh, closer uh, a closer relationship again with Farhad Mashiri he has spoken uh, about uh, what might happen with regards to the stadium and, and the naming rights and so on so clearly there is a a, a longer term relationship than uh, than perhaps we see in in many sort of standard sponsorship arrangements between between the two individuals but we don't know how long this conflict's going to continue. Uh,
2: let's have a Chelsea update as well, Kieran. I, I, I've heard from several sources that the trustees of the Chelsea Foundation uh, are totally bemused and baffled by being handed stewardship uh, of the club by Roman Abramovich. And, and stewardship, a word that has no legal meaning, uh, as far as anybody could see. But there strong rumours as well Kieran, that the club's been offered to. Uh, at least one Swiss billionaire, who may or may not be very rich, due to doing a pod called Swiss Ramble. I don't know, um, but it, it seems like Abramovich is still frightened that his assets may be seized, despite the fact he's an Israeli citizen, and he, he wants to offload the club so the club don't suffer
0: from that. Um, well, yes, I mean this this report has has broken today, Wednesday. Um, it's a it's an eighty six year old Swiss billionaire um who is claiming and when we don't know uh, how how accurate this claim is that um he and other uh, ultra high net worth individuals have been uh, offered the opportunity to buy chelsea football club um chelsea would be uh, an attractive investment because it's it's in a desirable part of london it's uh, the current uh, uh, UEFA Champions League holders it's the current FIFA World Club Cup ch- holders it's it's won the Premier League so so you know there are some positives against that you've got uh, people such as Jim Ratcliffe, Head of Ineos, uh, he's uh, he's British. He's, he's Britain's richest man, if, if if reports are to be believed. And you, know, uh, you never quite know how how wealthy wealthy people are, but he's 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 wealthier than producer guy. So yeah, you know, he's, he's, wow. he's, he's he's up there. If, if, if he's not, if he's not in, the, if he's not in the, he's not the richest. He's certainly in the top one. Mm. Um, so uh, he he uh, I think quite tellingly said uh, a couple of years ago that um, Chelsea was offered to him or Chelsea was certainly you know, it was it was made, made known that Chelsea was potentially available um but he felt the price being asked was too high around about 2 billion pounds and then there's the, there's the ongoing issue with Stamford Bridge it yeah. it's not big enough uh, if you know is is the simple uh, simple statement there um you know, Old Trafford holds, I think it's now seventy four thousand. The Glazers are potentially going to increase that to eighty. Liverpool are at fifty four, they want to expand to sixty. Manchester City are looking to expand to sixty. We've got uh, West Ham, Arsenal, and Spurs in London at, at sixty plus. So, uh, you know that that's going to be an expensive project, a- and also it's it's going to take a long time to sort because. Finding uh, a a property space in London with the appropriate planning permission to to build a, a sixty thousand plus stadium is is not going to be an easy task, and it's going to involve uh, perhaps dismantling existing properties, getting the right planning permission, and, and then there's the issue of funding. So, so Chelsea has has many positives, but also I think for from an investor's point of view, it has challenges as well. Yeah,
2: Chelsea have some very rich neighbours in Stanford Bridge. They don't like it when someone wants a swimming pool in their basement. They're not going to like Chelsea trying to buy their house to knock it down for a corporate hospitality. ITV, Kieran, are going to show EFL highlights from next season. Is this a new broadcasting deal or part of an existing one?
0: No, no, this is uh, this is taking over the existing deal that ITV have with, I think it's uh, Quest, Quest, which is a yeah. uh, yeah, satellite channel. Uh, presented by uh, Colin Murray, who uh, who uh, I've got to know Colin quite well. He's not, he's not invited me on Fighting Talk yet, which I'm, I'm still. <laughs> you know, I, I, I go on his show. I go on his show at half past eleven night, and you know sort of speak for ages. But I go, okay, any chance of any chance of Fighting Talk? Colin he said, "No, you're not funny." Um, so, but uh, well, if it's in a consolation,
2: Kieran. He hasn't invited me back. And I'm i in the business essentially. <laughs>
0: right.
2: Last time I spoke to him, he said, well, "Why don't we do it in Manchester now?" So it's a long way. It's like I would, <laughs> it's not how it works anymore, Colin. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there's, there's this is internet thingy.
2: Yeah, although it's it's. It's quite hard to get a word in edgeways when you're talking to Colin Murray, in any circumstance
0: is very entertaining, very chatty. He's he's, he's fantastically fantastic fantastic entertaining, and possibly the sweariest man I've ever met, which which is which which is quite challenging. Having having grown up in the uh, in the dressing room of my cricket club, so uh, well, achievement.
2: You've not worked with Johnny Vaughan, then? <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: um but uh so yes this is this is going to be a new uh efl highlights deal i think it's going to be on itv three cool. or four itv four uh, right yeah itv four um and I think, from the EFL's perspective, um, from what, what I gather, it's it's not necessarily going to be significantly more lucrative, if or at all. But ITV4 is it will get the benefits of being, uh, you know, there'll be there'll be adverts for it on on sort of the main ITV channels. So they're hoping to to double the number of viewers, um, and, and that's good for the profile of the EFL. And and you wish them all all the best and. Uh, uh, yeah, that there's some, there's some cracking football that takes place in the championship and league one and league two. Yeah. I have to say as well,
2: Kieran, ITV don't have a lot of sport, but what mm. they do have, they, sh- they show very well. I mean, certainly their, uh, FA cup programs and their rugby programs are very good. Their horse racing coverage is really good. And has really helped build the profile of, of horse racing. So hopefully that's something that can happen for the EFL. Cause it's a shame that the highlights were tucked away mm. on, on quests. Uh, Potential good news, Kieran for fans worried that their the owner of their club may want to move it to a new ground or sell the stadium or change the badge and play in colors
0: yes um this is um, this is something which is coming from the football association, and yes it 's absolutely to be welcomed um by a pure coincidence, it was also one of the recommendations of of tracy crouch's uh, fan led review report. Um, and this would be uh, some of the some of the issues that would have to be approved by the by the shadow board or by the the fans consortium that uh, was the official sort of liaising with the club. Um, and first of all, I do welcome it. Secondly, the cynic in me feels that what the football association. And the Premier League are trying to do is to offer a few of the recommendations, yeah. a few of the crumbs from the table of the Crouch report themselves, and therefore they'll be able to turn around and say, "Well, look, we're giving you some of the stuff that you want." Um, so therefore, we don't need an independent regulator. We we don't need increased financial scrutiny. We we don't need increased transparency. So so they they are. This is part of a much bigger scheme and I think it it's you know coordinated it's it's noticeable the the, the people that are being put forward from the premier league to say well, well yeah yes yes we 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 are jolly good fellows um but we we're not overly happy with the report none of the big six uh, have uh, have opened their mouths with regards to this because their reputations are tainted by uh, by super league and by project big picture so it's uh, yeah, I think it, I think it, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to make things more difficult for um, those people who are working uh, to come up with legislation in in respect of uh, potentially getting something into a Queen's speech. And you know, clearly, we, yeah, we've spoken to Tracy on a couple of occasions. Yeah, with it, and it doesn't go into the Queen's speech this year. Then it gets kicked into the long grass again, uh, and, and we've seen recommendations sort of, you know, then then effectively just 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 go into uh, into abeyance, which which I don't think is is in the best interests of the governance of the game mm. that we love now. You know, the, the game that the the owners and the executives love is a different one to ours.
2: Yeah, it's a good job that neither of us are of a cynical frame of mind Kira, because you know despite the fact this pod could make us both so but if we were of a cynical frame of mind either of us could suggest that this is quite an easy one for the FA to to offer up isn't it basically just there's no there's no financial backlash for this one it's just the FA saying right okay what we're going to do if you want to change your club's kit you've got to ask our permission we're not necessarily saying you won't get it but you've got to ask it first so it is quite a simple one that makes them look good in fans' eyes, but it's very easy for them to do. Now, uh, Kieran, Woking is a town that's very dear to both our hearts because it's home, of course, of one of the world's greatest bands, The Jam. Uh, It's also home to Woking FC, who made a small profit in 2020-21. But big losses overall, how did that happen?
0: Um, Well, uh, Woking has lost uh, a few million historically, and uh, say that they just just more than broke even as far as 2021 was concerned. But what we've seen over the course of the last three or four days is uh, there's been about a, a dozen to 15 clubs in England and Scotland who have published results, which has, uh, e- even by, by my standards of loving a spreadsheet, has, has put me into overdrive um, – but I think it's it's indicative of um, we were fearing uh, Armageddon, especially in, in the lower leagues and non-league football, um, as a result of COVID. But through a combination of grants, uh, fan support, owner support, uh, clubs have managed to cling on with their fingernails, and, and that's where we are um, at present. So, uh, I mean, you know, I, I would sort of say the non-league clubs, Unless they're trying to buy themselves promotion, have have done just about okay. If we take a look at the Premier League, Arsenal have published their results. Arsenal's losses are are, are substantial, uh, but um, Stan Kroenke seems to think he's going to underwrite those losses. I think it's 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 in, it, interesting. Well, from my point of view, that Arsenal appear to have got rid of their. Uh, external loans and and instead they're borrowing them in-house from Stan Kroenke. Liverpool's losses are down. Uh, We're seeing some of the clubs in the championship report as well. Uh, They're they're not great financial results in England. And then you contrast that to Scotland where practically every club uh, that I've seen in the lower leagues, is saying, "Yeah, we've we've broken even, or we've made a small profit," um, and, and that is very much on the back of furlough. Um, and I think there's a guy called James Anderson who's been an incredibly benevolent uh, uh, supporter of Scottish football, and and he's he's given the, the Scottish football authorities some cash to distribute uh, across the whole of the Scottish league. So Scotland's come out of this relatively well, lower leagues. Just about okay, I think, in terms of survival, due to the Premier League grants and loans, to the use of furlough uh, and so on, and also the EFL loans. Uh, you know, Barnes Barnesley reported their results; they've they've taken some of the EFL loans as well. And and again, we, we've spoken to people uh, connected to to the Championship, and going back to our first story in Derby, those you know, one of the things which bugs other owners and other chief executives is. They borrowed money, which therefore has to be repaid. Mel Morris didn't borrow any money from the EFL. He ran up huge debts to HMRC yeah. um, and and then put the club into administration. And, and there's a groundswell of anger towards him. but not. Him. And you have to separate the owner from the club here. The, uh, if Derby fans think that other club owners have got it in for them, I don't think that is the case. Um, but there there is a lot of bad blood directed towards the owner. Yeah. I, I don't
2: know if I should tell you this, Kieran, but um producer Guy and I we just couldn't think of a birthday present for you. So what we did, we, we phoned up fifteen or twenty clubs and just said, <laughs> Would you mind releasing your financial results on Kira's birthday? I, honestly it would cheer I'm really pleased that so many of them made the effort. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um one of those clubs, Kieran, we'll talk about Manchester United in a moment, but one of those clubs uh, who reported their figures it was Reading, and if
0: Woking made a small profit, Reading made a whopping loss. Yeah, thir- you know, thirty-five million pounds in uh, in in the championship is. Is pretty grim, um, and uh, yeah, on the basis of that, yeah, they 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 would have submitted figures to the EFL earlier than than the ones that are formally published, and, and of course, Reading have now uh, have suffered a points deduction on the back of that, and and, and are working towards a budget. Um, they've they've been told that they've got to get their their wage bill down substantially. Uh, my understanding from boots on the ground, should we say? Uh, are that they are they are keeping as best they can to to those wage targets, and and uh, they have a suspended sentence in terms of a points deduction. But if uh, if everything goes to plan, the players they released last year and the players they're planning to release this year um, should uh, reduce their wage bill substantially enough to mean that they're not going to uh, have the uh, the remainder of the points deduction applied. But you know, it, it means that. Are you going to be as competitive as you want to be? No, you're not. And, and this is the this this is the the challenge within championship football. It's yeah. uh, it, it's it's a mess from a financial perspective.
2: Uh, still on the theme of loss, unfortunately, uh, Coventry City's parent company, Sky Blues Sport and Leisure, made a loss of about five million pounds last season.
0: Yes, um, that's that's actually in my view. a uh, a pretty decent result and and that's that's how crazy things are you know i'm i'm saying that uh, football club's lost 5 million pounds and and has has done well um but coventry do have pretty decent cost control clearly they've had the ongoing challenges in in terms of where they're going to play their home fixtures that now appears to be resolved so i, I think coventry are, are are moving forwards um and you know fair, fair play to them to that uh, uh, trying to work out the motives of of the club's owners has been uh, has has confused practically everybody involved because yeah. they are a hedge fund. You know, normally uh, any any financial institution is purely looking to, to to make money from from buying and selling assets, but they've they've, they've stuck with Coventry for some time. Um, and and Cover having a good season, and uh, yeah, I, I think it would be. Uh, yeah, I've got no preferences for clubs, but I think it would be fantastic if if they if they were rewarded by by getting back to the Premier League on the back of that. Uh, well,
2: partly because as we said before, it's a very decent away day. Uh, yes, yes, there's always <laughs> that to bear in mind. Nottingham Forest have issued over a billion new shares, and even with my limited grasp of mathematics, Kieran, that's a lot of shares, isn't it? A billion. That's,
0: that, that's a lot of shares. They're going, blind. yeah. Oh, blind, no right. I thought, and they've now got over seven billion shares, which, wow. is, which is astounding. We're talking about a small football club, um, and and then you find out that they they've been issued for a penny each. Oh, okay. So so whilst it was, uh, they issued over a billion uh, in terms of of uh, the actual total value it worked out as as 12 million pounds and it's not fresh cash for the club but instead of that uh, what's happened is that the owners have converted uh, 12 million pounds worth of loans into shares Uh, but that that's still that still to me is a positive because um you know, whatever happens as far as the future of the club is concerned that 12 million pounds does not have to be repaid to the owners you know the nature of shares is that they are they are have a uh, an infinite life uh, and, and there is never any obligation to repay them yeah
2: this next present Kieran was so big that producer Guy and I thought we might make it birthday and Christmas <laughs> uh, but, but Manchester United's latest accounts are out
0: Yes, uh Manchester United have published their their second quarterly reports. This is to, to cover the the first 6 months of the year uh, from a financial perspective. So so this covers the the period to the the 31st of December um uh, 2021. And the good news from United's perspective is that uh you know match day money is up with the return of crowds. Uh Manchester United uh, have normally had the the highest gate receipts of, of any club in the country although I think that is now being challenged by Spurs because uh while Spurs have a, a slightly lower capacity than the Manchester united their, their their price per fan in terms of what they can extract uh in terms of ticket prices is is considerably higher uh <laughs> mainly because they've they've got a stadium where if you do go and stand or sit there you're not going to get rained on <laughs> um uh you know so 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 I, I think that Manchester United are going to find it uh, hard to keep that uh, that, that particular uh, crown uh, in their in their cabinet, uh, but their wage bill is is shooting up, uh, and that's going to be on the back of you know signing Varane, signing Sancho, signing um, s- signing uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. But the one thing that that stuck out for me uh, from from the report was um, it says a a ten million pound payoff to to former members of staff. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of affection towards Ole Gunnar Solskja, uh, in Manchester and rightly so for, for all that he achieved, especially as a player. And, and uh, you know, he will always be welcome there because... People will associate him with with the treble in nineteen ninety nine and and beating Bayern Munich. Uh, but uh, he 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 left uh, not only with their God good wishes, but uh, he 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 won't be needing to sell the big issue for a for a month or two. Um, uh, except of course, if uh, if fuel prices keep rising, then uh, how long ten million is going to go? I'm I'm not too sure.
2: My uh, good friend Ash. He's an Ethiopian Man United fan. He runs the off-license down the road. So, as you can imagine, he and I are very close. <laughs>
1: uh,
2: uh, he's obsessed with football. Uh, but in the unlikely event, Kieran, that you're ever popping into the off-license just down the road to me, <laughs> uh, and Ash is there, don't mention Cristiano Ronaldo because he's just... can't. Everything that's wrong at Man United, he thinks, is down to Cristiano Ronaldo. He's, really? He's not a fan. Let's put it this way. <laughs> uh, two more stories before that. Really interesting interview you did with Daniel. Uh, private equity groups are lining up a deal worth more than a billion pounds. A billion pounds. Again, we use the word billion. A billion <laughs> pounds to get a share of France's League 1 broadcast income.
0: You, you, you sound
2: naturally French there. Yeah, I'm a bit bummed up at the moment. That's why that helps. <laughs>
0: right. as, a,
2: as a result of getting rained on continually for an hour and a half on the way to Palace yesterday and an hour and a half back. Uh, I'll say an hour and a half. We stopped at several pubs. <laughs> why we went? Why we stayed outside the pub? I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs> what a shocking game that was! <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so league Un, broadcast income uh, £1 billion pounds is a lot of
0: a lot of money to pay to get a share of that, isn't it? It, it is, um, and I think it's indicative uh, of the attractiveness of the the bigger leagues uh, that, that private equity is, is willing to come in, and, and what they will effectively do is that they will give. Uh, the, the French football authorities uh, money up front which will will help i think f- I think it's fair to say that uh, French football has uh, has been hit to a greater extent than, than football here in England um, because there's you know, certain aspects of the lockdown were more severe and uh, they, they don't have the benefit of of such large uh, broadcast deals so um what will happen is that the private equity groups will, will give them an amount up front and then they'll be taking, I think it's around about 15% of, of French football income going forwards for quite a few years. Um, so, so when you actually add up the numbers, uh, they'll, they'll be getting considerably more than a billion pounds back. Yeah. Uh, but what, what they will claim, and, and this is what private equity companies always do, is they we have the expertise to negotiate and uh, identify uh, better broadcasting deals going ahead in the future, so yes, we might be taking our fifteen percent, but it 's going to be fifteen percent of a much bigger figure than you 've historically had. whether that is achievable or not i 'm not so sure um, French football is the uh, is is the poor relation uh, of the big five in Europe uh, partly due to it being dominated by one club, and and if you have a dynasty, if you have a monopoly in in terms of the way that trophies are distributed, from a broadcaster's perspective, that takes away jeopardy, that takes yeah. away risk, and jeopardy and risk is one of the reasons why why we do watch football. Uh, you know, one of the benefits we have here in the Premier League is. Yes, we know that Manchester City have been fantastically successful recently, but they're not guaranteed to win the Premier League. You know, it, it's it's still it's it's still uh, not a one horse race this season, um, and uh, that that that's great because you start you're watching matches because if they drop a couple of points here, does this mean Liverpool back into it? You know, there's still there's still the big fight in terms of fourth place as well, and that generates eyeballs. Eyeballs generate income. Yeah, I must admit,
2: we didn't expect quite as much jeopardy and risk as we got last night in a home, <laughs> a home FA Cup game against a team halfway down the championship. But, yeah, you know, maybe somebody told Patrick Vieira that's the reason we go. They, oh, they love us as jeopardy and the risk. Yeah, <laughs> give, give them some jeopardy and the risk. Um, this last story, Kieran, apologies to any real French people out there. listening. <laughs> yeah, you, you,
0: you've, you've caught the French bug
2: now. <laughs> um, This last story is a real hold the front page story and in the mood you're in, I'm quite looking forward to hearing your response. Uh, FIFA and the football federations in North, Central and South America are going to receive $32 million in relation to being victims of fraud and corruption within football. That's a plot (laughs) twist, isn't it? FIFA being the victims of corruption. from, From whom are they going to receive this money?
0: Well, um, this, this is on the back of uh, a Department of Justice investigation in the United States, um, and it's, it's all to do with uh, the way that TV rights were sold and negotiated by certain parties. Um, and, and it looks as if on the back of this, um, the, the the, the the U.S. authorities believe in total um, over two hundred million dollars worth of yeah. uh, money was uh, set aside in 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 the word that they use, which I love racketeering, nice. um, you know, which which is something we don't use enough in the UK. And yeah, uh, you know, I've I've got family who, who are upset. They're, they they be quite happy to be to be using words like that. Um, so well, the, not the all one, of the money's been recovered. The of ones course, that like because- tennis, of course yes yes Wimbledon fans yeah um but uh not all the money has been recovered because that that's the nature of uh of, of proceeds of crime it, get, it gets it gets squirreled away in various places um but as the uh the uh the clubs or the countries uh, associated with uh with the federations which covered North, Central, and South America have been the the biggest losers in this. Um, they are going to get some of the money back, uh, which which is good. I mean, because ultimately it has been denied to to the uh, confederations and therefore the individual nations. And many of the individual countries w- within those geographical areas do fantastic work with with money from um, from uh, from FIFA. Um, not all. Uh, I, th- I think the, the audit trail could perhaps be better. Um, there, there is simply too much corruption that we see uh, in football because, uh, yeah, it, it, as we know, it, it attracts Romans. Yeah. Uh must be slightly confusing for
2: Infantino, the boss of FIFA. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's used to getting backhanders, obviously, but he must be wondering why the American legal system are giving him money. He's, he's obviously wondering how he's going to get them in the World Cup now got another team to get in the World Cup. <laughs> yeah, dear. Now, Daniel Martin is vice president of finance and corporate development at Redbird FC, which currently owns Toulouse Football Club and is looking to invest in more European clubs and, of course, a part of the Redbird Group, which has an interest in Liverpool. That all sounds a bit grown up. So uh, Kieran interviewed Daniel <laughs> on his own. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by Pact Coffee. Big coffee is bad coffee, full of underpaid farmers and low-quality, over-roasted beans, all of which just leaves a bad taste in the mouth. Pact is changing the coffee industry from the grounds up. From paying a
0: price that's more than fair, to knowing farmers on a first-name basis, Pact builds long-term relationships that flourish, putting the needs of their partners first and providing coffee that's personal, to their customers with pact you'll get award-winning speciality coffee freshly roasted to perfection for your order and ground just moments before it's shipped there's over 15 different coffees on the menu at any given time to choose from including great taste 2020 and 2021 winners.
2: So, make a pact to make better coffee now. Price of Football listeners get a free V60 and filter kit when they first sign up to a pact plan. Just go to pactcoffee.com. That's P-A-C-T coffee And enter the code POF at the checkout to create your flexible coffee subscription and get that free brewing kit. Make a pact to make better coffee. Better for the farmer, better for the consumer, better for the planet. <music>
1: I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry.
0: Daniel, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. Um, if I can just sort of go through sort of things on a chronological basis in terms of your involvement with football, you, you were originally at Deloitte. Were you in the football uh, element of Deloitte or were you just you know, concentrating on, on the main part of the business there? Uh, well, firstly,
1: thank, thanks, Kieran. It's a real um, pleasure to be on, on the show. Uh, you know, I'm a real avid listener of the show. Um, on Deloitte, um, I was working at that point in the corporate finance division, um, so getting involved in m and activity and transaction services. Um, I'd previously completed my my three years audit training, uh, chartered accountancy training, Um and it was actually through a you know, contact at Deloitte; they had partner in the division. He, he knew the CFO um, well at Celtic, and at that point, they reached out asking um, to find an individual who'd like to be a business accountant uh, at Celtic. Right,
0: and was it was it a baptism of fire? Because football is is an industry that never seems to stop, and I would imagine. In a city such as Glasgow, you are under a degree of scrutiny. Um, And I've heard somebody says, you know, half the city hates you and half the city thinks that they own you. Was it a really intense environment in which to work? Uh, Because, you know, looking at the period in which you were involved, you you started there in 2009. Uh, Chelsea, sorry, Celtic were in the, the Champions League. You beat Barcelona. We had the issues with Satanta. There were issues yeah. taking place with rangers. It it must have been just an incredible working environment.
1: Well, yeah. So a, a number of great points you, you touched on there. Um, was it a baptism fire? Um, yeah, that, that's a good description. Um, you, you're coming from what's a professional service background. Um, most people within sort of big four firms are kind of aligned in the way their methodology of working is but 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 you go into to a football environment and and what struck me originally um was you know the contrast um in different departments within within the auspices of a football club so you know you've got everything from from obviously the the playing side but you've got a commercial division you've got a security business a multimedia business and a whole range of of individuals and backgrounds within that so that that was fascinating um, as my first um step into industry um going back to celtic in that period you're right i think um the first few months i think the satanta deal um media rights deal had had collapsed um so that that was a bit of a baptism of fire um but the highs of of, of nights like um Barcelona winning 2-1 on on our 125th anniversary I mean those moments will, will stay with me for a long time I am a, a Celtic fan full transparency um, but with that brings additional pressure and I think you've alluded to it, um you know I think the best way to describe it is um you know the highs on the pitch you, you feel them more but the lows you feel them a bit lower as well when when you're maybe working um on the inside right right so so you, you were you were there for five years um
0: mm. and you saw a lot of changes um mm. is there is there additional pressures in in Glasgow itself because being second is being nowhere as far as as the premiership is concerned, and therefore you must be under intense pressure to deliver to the fan base who who will always mm. have very high expectations
1: yeah i mean similar to to a lot of cities uh in the uk you know you think of manchester and liverpool but but glasgow is an intense um goldfish bowl to some extent um and that that brings added pressure but 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 i i think the um, focus on on celtic strategy at the time and and still to the current day um you know the 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 break even methodology that was put in place a number of years ago um, we all know Scottish football has has a, a constraint on resources with TV rights. That that's well known, as as you pointed out before. I think at that point, three million pounds to win the, the league. So so the real game changer for Celtic and Rangers is that that European participation and um, you know Champions League level at that point. You know you 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 could um, add up to thirty million to to your bottom line just by accessing group stages. Um, but having that discipline, or, or the boards having that discipline to, to to stick within that framework, even though the pressures that we've talked about for for um, you know increased spend on players or or you know additional capex elsewhere, and um, it's having that that discipline that, that that was one of the interesting things for me. It was learning at an early early point in my sort of football business career that that sort of governance model and you can see it's still quite rare to this day given them mm. what, what we see across Europe but so I was very fortunate to to enter football you know in that environment. Yeah and, and you, you touched on you know, Celtic
0: also being a listed company but mm. does that bring extra pressures because if you take a look at many of the clubs which have private ownership, the viewpoint of of fans is that the purpose of a board of directors is every year, or in fact, every six months, to write out a blank cheque to invest in players. Now, surely being a listed company, you, you, the responsibilities are to the shareholders first and foremost, and, and that gives you uh, an extra layer uh, that you have to deal with.
1: Yeah, again, you're spot on, um, Kieran. So, so, Celtic was was AIM listed. And it had originally been main market FTSE listed, um, and the chairman um, at the time, Brian Quinn, who was ex-governor of Bank of England, he he gave an undertaking that the reporting requirements would still meet um, FTSE standard, um, even though AIM listed. So. So again, just having that background of of governance and, and and trying to to adopt plc type methodologies but but you're right that that's sometimes in, in conflict with 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 what maybe the fan base um w- w- would want um, so always striking that balance between you know resource allocation versus um sporting aspirations that that was always something that was at the forefront of certainly the board's mind and and, and Celtic strategy when I was there. Yeah, and
0: Celtic have have managed to deliver on the pitch whilst at the same time having a break-even model. Uh, and from, you know, as you know, I'm I'm obsessed with football hmm. club accounts, and I've got everything going back you know to the last century. Um, hmm. and and the model appears to be get your income to match your costs, and then sell one player a year. Were you sort of budgeting? who that player was going to be perhaps 12 to 18 months in advance to say, well, this is what we think we can do. And then we can use the, the proceeds of that sale to reinvest into into players. You know, did, was it sort of that granular or was it more ad hoc that you'd say, well, we have to sell one player every summer and you see what, what came along in terms of bidding clubs?
1: Yeah. Um- yeah, I mean, there was um, so talking at the budgeting process. Um, so we wouldn't we wouldn't budget for for the football success of, of Champions League, given um, at that point there wasn't direct entry, and so so we're always budgeting from a revenue side for group stage Europa League participation. So mm-hmm. so if you start with that um, that sort of revenue base and work down through the cost base, you know the balancing. Figure we would have a notional amount for for a a, a player gain or a gain on sale, not necessarily identified. I think um, conscious that things evolve within the market, um, and and having that flexibility to manoeuvre, but but having that strong balance sheet then built up over time um, gave that flexibility. Um, you know what? Uh, you know to share an anecdote. You know the other side of it that's maybe often missed is just how well. Some of the player trading was over over that period, and and I would say it was moneyball without the data analytics. And um, you know, right. if, if if I reference, you know, Virgil van Dijk at that point bought from a nominal sum from Groningen, um, and then ultimately to where he, where he's gone to to t- today, that that was just one. Of many examples, Wan-Yama, Kiso, Young, Gary Hooper. So, giving them that platform of Champions League, developing that asset value, and knowing the right time um, to 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 kind of liquidate and, and try and build again um, for for the next next season.
0: Yeah, because I remember in respect of Virgil van Dyke, mm. I know we at Brighton we were in the Championship at the time, and we'd identified him and we're trying to persuade him to come. And uh, we had Barnsley on a Tuesday night and you had Barcelona. And for some reason, for some reason, Daniel, he chose to go to Scotland. And I still don't understand
1: it myself. Well, listen, you know, from a Scottish perspective, there's not many pluses uh, from giving them economic terms to attract players. But, but certainly, you know, for the top two clubs, having that European platform can certainly sway, sway certain players if they have a longer term career path in mind. So, so you, you you had what five years at Celtic, then
0: you went to Etihad Airways, and and then you went back into football. This was at, mm. um, was it Al Jazeera in Abu Dhabi. So, so I presume that's linked to Sheikh Mansour and, and the City Football Group.
1: Um, yeah, that's correct. So, I I took the position of um, CFO and CEO at um, Al Jazeera Club. Um, owned by by Sheikh Mansour, not not formally part of the CFG um network, um, but but that said, shared ownership through um Sheikh Mansour uh, as being his local club in in Abu Dhabi, and and really that that role was part of a, a transformation project, um with a couple of guys from CFG who were executives who went in as CEO and 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 CCO. And, and, and continuing that theme of my career and a bit of a passion, it, it was about um, trying to bring some sustainability and, and, and financially sustainable models um, to a league or to a club, but but generally at macro level to a league that, that probably wasn't familiar with, with those concepts. Um, so very interesting um, journey over about an 18-month period to to try and bring that path to sustainability.
0: And where would you benchmark uh, football in Abu Dhabi and the mm. Middle East compared to where we are in Europe you know in, in terms of leagues what, what what would you say would be sort of the the closest uh close closest analogies close cl- closest benchmarks
1: um so I look I think we're we're looking at maybe second tier leagues um second or third tier leagues in the big five uh, countries yeah. perhaps um what I would say is, um, you know, if you look at the UAE, Saudi, I've done a bit of work uh, there as well uh, on the football front, Qatar, you know, the, there is a real appetite to develop the football, uh, certainly grassroots level uh, and national level, but also develop the leagues, the main leagues. And again, going back years, it seemed to be an outpost for, for ageing stars to come and and earn unlimited wages. But but the mindset's changed now and 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 actually... If I focus back on that project at Al Jazeera, you know we did some some good things there. You know, bringing in a sporting director, a great guy, Mads Davidson, who'd, who'd worked in China and and really lowered the average age of the squad. Um, looked at, at, at the wage bill, making it you know sustainable within that budgeting model we talked about before, similar to what Celtic were doing. Um so yeah, um the the, the interesting thing is, is is just the growth that's still to come, I think, in these leagues as as the years are developed. Um we obviously know the World Cup's going to be in the region um soon and, and, and it'll be interesting to see how, how again it moves on from that.
0: Great, great. So so you you've dealt with sort of the, the nuts and bolts of football, you you've been at the coal face, and then hmm. you stepped away and and you you joined Redbird was was that your choice? Did they headhunt you, or was it just uh, you know the, the right time, right place?
1: Um, yeah, there was a, there was a bit of that. So the the, the backstory was that the, the Algeria Al was uh, uh, as I say, it was a specific remit, uh, and that came came kind of we were in a good position to to kind of hand over to the next layer of management. Uh, at that point, I was um, could you call it headhunted? I was approached um, through Nolan Partners, who are uh, a sports recruiter, um, and and they, they introduced me to the guys at Redbird Capital Partners, and, and at that point of the discussion, they were um, embarking on an acquisition in France, um, which was is Toulouse FC, and had a wider thesis of investment in, in European football. Um, so so Paul thought it'd be interesting if I spoke to the guys, and and um, and yeah, uh, and and then then a few months later, I. I took um my current position.
0: Right, right. So I mean, you, you've mentioned uh Celtic using moneyball light for, for mm. want of a better phrase. Mm. Um do you use a similar analytics approach uh as as far as determining a your investments and once you've got investments, how do you get in how does Redbird get involved on the operational side of things in terms of player recruitment and talent spotting? Mm.
1: yeah so I you know my I am VP of, of, of finance and corporate development at, at Redbird FC and, and, and Redbird FC is is a sports or international sports and data analytics platform um so it's really um where Redbird Capital Partners which is the, the PE yeah. firm based in US where it's where they deploy the capital and we do it in partnership with with some top um, analytics Focused executives in sports, so Billy Bean and, and Luke Bourne. Um, now, now under Red Bird FC platform, as well as Toulouse, we have a, a data analytics and investment in data analytics platform called Zealous, um, which, which is really powering a lot of um, how we 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 make um, decisions, mostly on on the playing side, um, because ultimately how we would view it as value on the pitch and off the pitch is ultimately driven by those playing decisions. Um, so, so if we take back to the Celtic discussion, a lot of that was was maybe scouting, agent led, um, but certainly looking for for hidden talent and developing and, and moving on. Now with Celis, and um, you know things have evolved to 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 certainly a more of a scientific nature and, and data analytics, as we know, is a growing theme. And, and a lot of it's above my head. I will be honest. I am a, but a layman accountant. Um, but 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 some of the the outputs I've seen from, from the Zealous system and, and how that translates into lose results um, has been fascinating for me. And, and ultimately, you'd say the aim
0: is to is to punch above your weight in terms of you've got a rough idea of what expectation of revenues, and then in terms of player recruitment, um, you, you then then can benefit on the back of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so identifying talent um, that that you think is um, that's undervalued um, that, that you could then then acquire um, a, a, and obviously um, develop a, 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 and ultimately sell on. Um, so, so that, that that's a big part of it is really um, trying to compete um, with, with others um, uh, with lower resources and a lower wage bill, but actually compete at the same level. Right. Yep. So, so you've got was it eighty five percent of
0: Toulouse? Yes. You've got a stake in FSG, which you know famously owns Liverpool FC. And I, when when I do my analysis, again, I, you know, I'm 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 an accountant. So I'm, I'm a dweeb, but I know hmm. nothing about football in terms of you know the technical side of things. Um. But but I see, as far as that's concerned, um, that you know Liverpool has spent. Since Sir Alex Ferguson retired, they've they spent £500 million less than Chelsea, Manchester United, and Manchester City. Um, mm. And yet they seem to be outperforming. And that, do you think that therefore gives them an edge? Because uh, it, it must be very difficult to compete when you are ultimately an investment operation against organisations whose uh, KPIs are not financial you know if 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 they are trophy assets if they if they are if the ambitions of the owners are are nothing to do with getting a financial return and therefore they've effectively got a blank check it it must be a huge challenge
1: yeah i, I think um i think the points you make are, are are all all valid um what what i would say as well um uh, you know with with the analytics side of things you know a big part of it is actually trying to to, to really get better value or, or, or actually, if I could say this better, it's actually trying to make the decisions or or give less room for judgment in those decisions. Um, so you're not going to still get everything right using data analytics, but but at least you're you're giving a rationale and, and, and some sort of um explanation for for why those decisions are being made. And and too often and not in football as as we know, Kieran, when when we look at financials, um you know the misallocation of funds that's happened for, for various reasons because because you know also that there's people investing in football clubs not purely for economic reasons um, and everyone's got a different rationale but 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 when you look at it from an investment firm's lens having having those those principles that you'd probably apply into the non-football world certainly does try and close the gap to those um, those other investors who are out there. Yeah, it m- must be very challenging
0: indeed. Um, so, you've you've got Toulouse, Malaga, indirectly Liverpool. Um, are you looking to to expand the portfolio? You know, I've seen some other organisations say, uh, you know, the, the benefit in terms of you've you've got rene- you know, revenue synergies, you've got cost synergies, you've got de-risking the, the fear of relegation. Um, is is uh, is Redbird FC? In a in a state of flux, or is it is it still on a growth phase in terms of actively looking to recruit more clubs to to join the
1: portfolio? Um, I would I would say the latter, Kieran. I think it's worth noting just to the listeners you know after our Toulouse investment, um, we have a, a minority stake in an IPL cricket team as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so so away from the football world, but but some of the fundamentals of, of that IPL league similar to. Some of the American franchises, um, but certainly the focus in 2022 is looking back towards um, our next club acquisition. Um, you know, we have we have a number of different criteria we look at when we're assessing clubs. Um, you know, to run th- through a few of them, um, we look for sustainable non-football business operations, um, major cities or, or de- desirable tourist destinations with favorable demographic. Demographics so toulouse, fourth largest city in France, for example, um, owned infrastructure um, and related revenue streams so again that, that that's of interest and and one thing that I want to mention is, is identifying local partners as well um, Right. B- because yeah based in, in the US um you know you, you need to to engage with the stakeholders and and that's something I think um, we can show that's happened or demonstrate's happened well in, in toulouse thus far and something we think is a real key part of, of any investment we'd make in a future club.
0: Right, right. And, um, you know, football football is a circus, and, and and the circus rolls from town to town all the time. It it must be very difficult trying to work out what is going to happen next. Hmm. Where where do you see football going? Oh, yeah, certainly in terms of especially European football, perhaps football in the Middle East as well, given your experiences. Um, hmm. You know, we've had... Uh, we've got the Swiss model coming from UEFA. We've got still Super League won't die. As far mm. as you know, the, the, the comments from from Perez and Anelli and so on. And I think you, you know you, you know I, I work in the city of Liverpool. Uh, I think my, my views are fairly well known as a as a fan. But mm. I'm also conscious of the fact that, you know, in my view, Super League was a fantastic investment opportunity. Mm. Um, but from a football point of view, I didn't like it. Um, mm. Where, where do you see things going over the next few years?
1: Um, well, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I think one thing is, is certain: is I you know, I think there will be be change. Um, you know, we well, I I see a lot of different clubs come across my desk on, on a weekly basis, and, and there's a consistent theme that that there is is liquidity issues there, and um, mm-hmm. cl- clubs are struggling. Um, now, now you know that that can not continue forever. Um, for so so those who are offering to to try and assist, um, with, with capital, um, they are going to probably want to see how things are run going forward, or at least have comfort that that um that that they might not get into that that stage in in, in the future. Um, I mean, you've mentioned the Champions Leagues, obviously evolving their ideas, um. You know the interesting thing for me is maybe just how, how how the world looks at it as well. You have Middle East, you have you have the US. Um, will there be a shifting of 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 where talent goes? You question mark. Um, you know, I look at regulations as well, Kieran, and, and and that that's good. You know, financial fair play, you can you can see had an impact. COVID, I would argue, it probably got found out slightly. Um, mm-hmm. uh, okay, it was you know it's a pandemic. Um, but actually, one of the best, um, in my opinion, one, one of the best um, things that could happen is just for good management to go into to clubs because you can have all the regulations in the world, but but if you set policies at management level, or, and, and whether that's fan-based owned clubs or, or or up to clubs owned by one person, that I just think there's a long way to go on that, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm particularly talking about European football and, and how things have been run over over the piece. Um, and and that's something I would like to see happen, regardless of of of, of where things go in competition formats or, or jurisdictions. Actually, just um, good management going into clubs, and uh, because ultimately it, it's fans that suffer if things mm. um, things aren't managed well. Um, and maybe that's something that, that that might develop now we try and come out of a sort of post-pandemic world.
0: I I, I agree with you entirely. Yeah, you know, I, I see many clubs as we all do and one of the things that strikes me is that too often they are run as personal fiefdoms as mm. as vanity projects and the trouble is if if it's a van- if clubs a vanity project if it's an executive toy well mm. people get bored of toys and mm. that's that's fine if it's a toy if it's a football club which means so much to thousands and thousands of people it impacts upon their life and and we we all secretly know that football's a bit dumb because why should I wake up on a Monday morning thinking about a football match which is taking place in six days' time when I've got <laughs> got the full week ahead of me? But 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 as a fan and you know you as a Celtic yeah. fan, you, you go yeah. through this this amazing this this amazing uh, routine every week, and I go, I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be a grown up, but I'm, but I'm not. As and that's what, and that's why we love the game. It, it, it retains that that innocence, that magic, and so on. I mean, Daniel, this this has been absolutely uh, you know, educational for me, and uh, I'd just like to say a, a huge thanks for for coming on the show. Um, is, is there anything else you want you want to add that uh, you know you, you you'd like to sort of bring up that uh, which which you think might be of interest to the to the oh. listeners?
1: Well, just just maybe to touch on that final point, um, just on, on what it means to fans, and I, I think closing it off back to, to to the investment world, I think that that, that that's one and the same thing. Um, you know, the, the attraction of, of individuals to football is the opportunity there by that that fan, that content, that that live event that, that football brings, and. Um, and yeah, that, that that's really something. I just thought would close nicely to, to to what you said there. But for me, it's been a pleasure being on the podcast, Kieran. I, you know, I've listened to it for for a long time now. And um, yeah, I, I thank you for the opportunity to to chat with you today. Well, well thank you. And and if, and if Redbird Bird FC
0: are, are looking for value in a football finance podcast, <laughs> and, and, and and as long as, as it doesn't involve the Swiss Ramble. <laughs> we, we, we might have, we might have another conversation soon. <laughs> well,
1: I, look, I look forward to that one, Kieran.
0: I absolutely, do. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you.
2: Daniel's was a proper high level football finance chap. I have to say, it sounds like running Celtic, Kieran, is all sorts of fun.
0: Yes, yes. Uh yeah, we say that uh, New York is the city that never sleeps. Well, running <laughs> one of the big firms uh in Glasgow is the job where you never sleep. Uh it uh, uh you know, I think Daniel said that uh yeah, 5 years is 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 a good innings uh because there's there's an awful lot of pressure. There's an awful lot of scrutiny um and uh yeah everybody wants a piece of you yeah. and everybody uh seems to think that they know more than you when it when it comes to giving advice i i remember talking to gordon stracker about this at the
2: edinburgh festival talking about the great honor of managing the celtic football team but also the impossibility of ever going out in glasgow mm. while you're managing the club for good reasons and bad reasons uh Now, don't forget, everybody, the first ever Price of Football live show is happening at Plough Lane, the home of AFC Wimbledon, on Thursday, the 24th of March. It's very difficult for you to forget because the producer guy keeps asking us to remind you, uh, (laughs) even though you've already bought tickets. The original batch of 200 tickets sold out, so we added another 50. There are only a couple of those left. If you fancy it now, if we've twisted your arm, just go to the link in the description of this episode and we will look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks time Uh, i spoke to several nice fans of the pod uh, in the Porter's arms before the game yesterday they've got their tickets ready Uh, already one of them's got four questions that he wants to ask (laughs) <laughs> he, he tried one out of on me and i just he was put off by my glazy stare <laughs> uh, if you'd like to make a contribution to our always free to air pod and that would be very kind of you please go to patreon.com slash price of football if you have a question as well for our weekly questions pod which broadcasts on a monday it's questions at price and in the meantime
0: i shall hand you over to mr kieran maguire for his customary farewell well thanks again folks uh, for the feedback uh, for keeping us on our toes and also for the kind words that you send us on so many occasions it is appreciated um if you, if you want to support us on patreon then that would be fantastic if you just want to give us uh, some good karma go 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 to your podcast apps and uh, just uh, just give us a little review. Uh, if you can give us five stars, it helps us in the charts. Uh, Apple and Spotify and so on use algorithms. And uh, you don't have to say uh, uh, anything nice about us. You could just say that you'd rather the show was presented by the two young Russian friends of my son who died two days ago.
2: Uh, I would at this stage, Kieran, under normal circumstances, sing you happy birthday, but... Uh, in the circumstances, I won't do that. Plus, of course, it would cost producer guy about twenty five thousand uh, pound. I did a pilot for a TV show a few years back with a young, inexper- inexperienced producer. And we told him you couldn't sing Happy Birthday in a TV show, uh, but he went oh, ahead anyway. Yes. Uh, the show wasn't made, which is a shame because they could have made back the money they had to pay the people who owned the rights to Happy Birthday, the song. So uh, I shall just content myself with saying Happy Birthday, old friend.
0: Thank you. The price for Vote of Paul. The price for Vote of